Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs that want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 90. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. So, as usual, we have got a great guest this week, Todd Palmer. Now, Todd is a renowned thought leader, CEO, executive coach, and order who is committed to improving lives. As a successful entrepreneur and business owner, he works with both individuals and companies to support corporate growth, foster business startups, and guide leaders in the areas of talent management, workforce planning, and organizational development. As the CEO of a six-time Inc. 5000 company, Todd knows the struggles that businesses face around the areas of people, cash, strategy, and execution. Through his firm, Extraordinary Advisors, Todd is able to guide leaders into programs to sustained profitability. So, Todd, welcome to the show. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? I am really good, my friend. Really good. Really looking forward to some inspirational and empowering conversations with yourself. Excellent. Well, you know, it's an honor to be here and I'm happy to get started. Fantastic. So, Todd, before we get really into the the nitty gritty, so to speak, can you give us some backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Absolutely. So, you know, I was a young entrepreneur. I started my first business at the age of 27 um, and it uh, was really a unique spot in time and place in American employment history. The country was at full employment like it is today. And um, I started basically with a small loan from a friend and on credit cards, and we turned a profit by day 72. So it, it was really a, a unique spot to be in because if I could find people, com- people wanted uh, companies wanted to engage our services. Uh, pivoting forward, uh, we had some really tough times in the mid-2000s, and then we were able to, to turn that business around and make the Inc. 5000 six times as one of America's fastest-growing companies as diversified industrial staffing. Uh, since that time, uh, I still own the company, but now I've really transitioned my career into speaking, into coaching, and trying to help other entrepreneurs grow and scale their businesses, or even help them turn around, turn those businesses around in some cases. Wow. Okay. So that so there's a couple of really cool things there. Obviously, it's you um, must be a very determined and motivated person to do that so quick. What do you think was the was, if you want, in some ways, the secret sauce to your success in doing that? Well, you know, in, in going back and wondering, you know, why why did I want to become an entrepreneur? What was my motivation? And I think, well, and a lot of entrepreneurs, if they're honest with themselves, they want to prove something to someone. They either want to prove something to, you know, a family member or a parent or someone in the world who said they couldn't do something or even if they want to prove something to themselves. And, you know, I look back upon my career. There was a lot of people like that in my life I wanted to prove things to. But first and foremost, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And I thought I had some ideas and I was a young guy. I, I could make it happen. And probably one of the, the biggest, what I thought was one of the biggest things that was most exciting for me was the early success the company had. But unfortunately, that also gave me a false sense of security and, and created this this mythos within myself to think, wow, I've got everything figured out. I'm going to make this business you know, skyrocket. And, and Jeff, it couldn't have been further from the truth. I'll tell you, by 2006, we were in pretty bad shape, and you know that's really where a lot of the learning for me as an entrepreneur took place. And you know it was to the point where I had to make some big changes, and th- those were some tough times. 
And can you um, can you share with some of those some of those changes that you had to implement? Because, you know, as you know yourself, being an entrepreneur has its has its highs and it has its lows, um, and people go through all sorts of different transitions and have to make sometimes tough decisions. What sort of things did you have to reflect on and look at in order to get your business where it needed to be? Absolutely. You know, the interesting thing was I was so concerned in the mid to, you know, mid 2000s about being all things to all people, trying to please every customer, trying to please every employee. And it was it was a loser's game. And we had gotten into a really bad shape. The, our business knew the economic crash of 2008 was going to happen about two years earlier. Hiring was drying up. Contracts were being canceled and people were losing jobs at a, at a rapid rate. And it put us in a bad spot. We had one client go bankrupt. They owed us $240,000. A couple other clients couldn't pay us either. We ended up getting to the point of being $600,000 in debt by September of 2006. I was 60 days away from running out of cash. I had a dysfunctional company culture. As the leader of the organization, I was, I was not executing in a lot of different areas. And I had to walk in September 9th in 2006, fire my entire company, and start the business over. Wow. Okay, so so that was something that was that sort of as in okay um, triage. This is what we need to do in order to keep the business going. Or did you were you looking at doing doing your running your business in a different way? What was sort of the thoughts behind that? You know the the real thought going back to your question is it wasn't necessarily really a triage situation to stem the bleeding. It was more the fact of. The, the limb was gangrene, to use a medical term. And if I didn't take take the limb off, the, the, the business would not continue. If I kept the staff the way it was going, going in the direction it was going to go into, it was very clear that we were going to go off the cliff and not be able to recover. So in order to save the business, which I really saw as kind of like this, you know, there's me, there's the employees, and then there's the company that that needs those employees, that needs that owner. But also as a living and breathing entity in a lot of ways, in order for that business to continue to go on, I needed to get rid of the staff. I needed to get back involved, more involved in the business, and I needed to make some different changes. And those changes really pivoted off of being a general staffing provider, being a generalist, to becoming very niche specific in a very key area where there was an increased demand and a diminished supply versus being all things to all people. Yeah, okay. So when you were when you were going through that, how did – did your mindset change? Did you, did you know, what sort of things were you having to do, I guess, in your own personal life in order to make those, to make those big changes, to make those shifts? That's a great question. Um, the first thing I do is I had to look in the mirror and realize how we'd gotten there. As the leader of the company, I did allow the company to get that far into debt. I did allow the employees to carry on certain behaviors that weren't productive for the organization. So I had to change me first and foremost. I had to recognize that I couldn't be the oracle. I couldn't get over my imposter syndrome until I addressed it. It's almost like someone who's got a substance issue saying, hey, I'm, you know, my name is Todd and I'm an alcoholic. I've got to change. Well, my name is Todd and I'm an entrepreneur suffering from an imposter syndrome. I've got to change that. Second difficult conversation was, you know, I had to sit down with my family and have a conversation with them. I was a single dad. I had to talk to my son and explain to him that maybe life was going to be different now for a while. We couldn't maybe do some of the things we once did. I had to talk to my significant other, explain to her the mistakes I made, own up to those mistakes, and, and 
ask for her support in getting more engaged with the business. I had to talk to customers. I had to talk to employees. I had to talk to my bank. I had to go in and have bank meetings where they basically said, we're going to take the business from you. Okay, fine. Take it. Well, I'll walk away. Well, we don't know how to run your business. Well, I, you're in the bank. We're in the banking space. Well, if you work with me, I'll do an, I'll do a personal guarantee workout and I will pay back all the money that I owe you, but I need more time and having those difficult conversations. So it was, it was basically brutal, difficult conversation on top of conversation on top of conversation with not only shareholders in my life, but stakeholders in my business. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose one of the interesting things is this imposter syndrome comes, comes up quite a lot. And it's, you know, it, it's whether it is, um, you know, how, how can I be here? How will, why will anyone listen to me? What sort of, um, can you give any strategies that helped you overcome that? Because I hear it on a day-to-day sort of conversations with people about these are the things that are stopping them from moving on. Oh, for sure. And, and I think there's two big components that were really vital to me. The first one is when I was in my worst spot and I couldn't afford it, I went out and hired a coach. I went out and hired somebody with a lot of industry experience, a lot of business knowledge who I had couldn't really afford, but I knew that I didn't have all the answers. So I hired a coach and he helped me with a lot of the, the, the strategic and the execution and the cash pieces of the business. But the other part of it really, and one of the things that he taught me as well as some of the reading I was doing at the time, uh, one of the best books I ever read was Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it was the Stockdale Paradox of, you know, here's your brutal reality. Your brutal reality is this. Now, you can have an optimistic attitude going into your brutal reality, but you just can't take optimism alone. And that really required me to recognize that failing is part of any process in life. Failing is where all the learning takes place. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is from a a gentleman named uh, Dr. Daniel Friedland, and he talks about failure is nothing more than a step along my pathway to being successful. And that's really what I had to accept that failure was, you know, business wasn't a win-lose game. It was the opportunity to, okay, I tried this. It didn't work. It doesn't make me a failure. The idea, the idea didn't work or this didn't work or that didn't work. But if we don't do that, we don't lean into those uncomfortable things as entrepreneurs, we're not going to grow. And that growth is where the best ideas come from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you've gone, you've sort of, you've had a, you, you've sat down, you've had those hard conversations, you've turned this business around. And as you mentioned at the beginning, you've got six times in Inc. 5000 company. What, what do you think is the, um, I guess not this, not the secret, but what do you think are some of the habits that have really helped you get to that point with the company to achieve such a, a fantastic target is that? Well, if, I think the first thing was I realized that I didn't necessarily, for my business specifically, and this may not apply to all of your listeners, but for my business, I didn't need to hire somebody with a lot of human resources or recruiting background. And, and I call, you know, I can hire for DNA, not for resume. I could take a really good person who fit the company culture and teach them to be a good recruiter. I couldn't teach somebody who was a good recruiter to be a good person. So we figured out first and foremost what the DNA was to work in our company. Then we focused on margins, not on revenue. And in this, especially in the staffing space, it can be quite, quite seductive to focus on the revenue because that can grow relatively quickly compared to other industries. And we, ch- we chose to be different. We're, we're going to turn down business that's not profitable for business that has to meet a certain profit threshold. 
And the last thing was, you know, who are we? What? Do, why do we do what we do? Again, to, to quote another author, Simon Sinek, we figured out what our why was. And our why is really simple. We improve lives. We improve the lives of our candidates by getting them a great job they can't find. We improve the lives of our customers and our client companies by getting them an employee they can't find. If we do that really well, then we're going to get financially compensated. So many businesses are focused on, I got to make money. I got to do this. I got to make revenue. But why do you do it? But if I can help a, a, a person who's working a second shift job get a first shift job opportunity so they can spend more time with their young family, that's a great reward. If I can help a company figure out how to get an employee they can't find on their own because they have depleted resources or limited resources and they can go out and people in their organization now don't have to work overtime or 70 hours a week because they found a new person to work alongside them. Everybody can go home and spend a little more time with family. Then that's a win for me. And you know, we don't work for free. We should be compensated for making that connection. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I love that hire for DNA, not resume. I think that's brilliant. So, yeah. so that very much is is looking at the it's because I think sometimes there's a lot of companies just go, wow, that's a great CV, let's get them in, without really looking exactly. at the, the ethos, isn't it? It's a, it's it's like a round, uh, was it a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square hole? But you get my, you get the idea. You're not bringing in. You know, quite often you'll see sports teams bring in these people that look great on paper, but they just do not fit with the way the team plays. And there's there's this friction oh, and, yeah, and that's conflict, a, that's a isn't it? That's a great comparison. You know, you, you 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 take a look at a football team or a soccer team, and the guy's a great a great athlete, but he, he's a cancer in the clubhouse. That's why he's been on three teams in five years. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's the 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 indiv- individuality does not necessarily always make the whole sometimes they're just not that sort of thing so for you that's a really important part of your company um ethos and culture well and it really is and especially now in the you know in 2018 we're in a battle for talent and companies have to understand that you've got to have a great culture that people want to work in because employees have plenty of job opportunities regardless of their skill set and you know i just I'm, i'm actually going to do a speech um, in Florida in a couple of weeks where I'm going to talk to companies about that DNA versus resume mentality. Companies can't find enough of the right people. Well, can you tell me what the right person is to your organization? And if they don't have that experience, but they have that DNA, they have that, that, that cultural fit, are you willing to train them? Because if you're not, somebody else is. You've got to pivot and shift. It's not the days where you can just plug and play anymore. Yeah, and I suppose then then that also looks at that really interesting part of those people who are starting their businesses up. Um, you know, let's say you know the entrepreneur that's just starting out. How important do you feel that it's to get that the company ethos and culture looked at at the beginning rather than before they start hiring people? So, you know, at, the, at that sort of, oh, I'm working for my own, okay, now I need to hire some people. Do you think it's really critical to get that right at the beginning of the hiring process as the company grows? Or do you think it's possible to create that further on down the line? Well, I think really the, the entrepreneur needs to take a look first and foremost. Are they looking to build a company or are they simply looking to build themselves a job? Either is fine. There's no right or wrong answer. But if you have the entrepreneur who does want to build a company and they've got to recruit and attract talent, that talent, especially the millennial talent, is going to ask them, 
why should I work for you? And they've got to have a good answer. Not that we've got great benefits or we offer great vacation time or our pay is, is outstanding, but what is your vision? What is your purpose? What is your mission and passion? And the, that really does come, especially for the early stage entrepreneur, from the individual. What I've seen happen over the course of time as the organization grows, then that organization then becomes its own entity. It has its own DNA and its own culture. And the entrepreneur often has to go back and revisit the mission statement on the wall, the core values in the handbook, and say, hey, do are we still – those are mine essentially. Now, are those ours? And if they are, great. But often, just like just like a family, you know, what, what a, a two-year-old needs and what a 12-year-old needs from mom and dad do grow over time. Yes, you still parent, but you parent differently. Yes, you're still a company, but maybe your values and in, in your culture have evolved and changed. How do you capture those? Can you sell those? And can you make that an attractive landing spot for your next great hire? Hi, guys. So just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I wanted to let you know that Success IQ Alliance, my membership program, will be entering its pilot phase shortly. And I'm looking for a group of people that would like to join me during this phase at the very beginning of the whole process. If you're interested and would like to find out more information, then please email me at info at jeffnicholson.co.uk. Places are limited, but it would be lovely to see you there. Speak soon. Wishing you the greatest success and have an awesome week. Okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to jump over to the second part of the show where I get an opportunity to put you on the hot seat, so to speak. So um, relax, sit comfortable, and the torture will begin shortly. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's, uh, it's 90 degrees here in Detroit today. So, yeah, it's a, it's a hot seat with or without the questions. Let's go. Okay. So question number one is, how much time a week do you spend on self-development? That's body, mind, and spirit. You know, I, I think that's one. It's, no one's asked me that question. I think it's a great question. I think it's key for any entrepreneur or, or, or any leader of any organization because it starts with you. I know some guys like Mark Cuban spend upwards of three hours a day reading. Ideally, in my ideal world, I want to spend anywhere from two to five hours per day on those things. And I take that as the entire day, not just the work day. So two hours in the gym, I devote to that. An hour of quality time with family refills my bucket. Uh, Working on reading key articles or having great conversations like we're having right now, those are all go into that recipe. It's not just one one, uh, tributary off my river. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing is is it's – when you're looking at it, it, it's that it's willing to take that dedic- and dedicate that time to grow. And that's where you generally see the, if you want the, the movers, the makers and those sort of things, they're willing to dedicate that time into their, own, their, self, their self-improvement. Well, it, and that's really, if you want to avoid burnout, you really have to. All the science data points show that. And if your bucket, think about it like a bucket. If you're if you're a bucket and you're giving water to your staff and giving water to your clients and giving water to your business, well, eventually, if you don't refill that bucket, it's going to become empty. And when you're empty, you're not going to be the best you you can be. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Okay, question number two is: What is your favorite personal development book and why? Wow, uh, my favorite personal development book. You know, I think the one I'm reading right now that I get a lot of value out of is a book called The Freak Factor by David Rendell, uh, R-E-N-D-A-L-L. And what, and what the crux of the book is, and, and he's got a quote in there that I just love, and I've seen him speak multiple times. And he talks about what's, what's weird about you makes you wonderful. 
So it really talks about playing to your strengths as an individual, as a professional. And I think especially – and I love the fact that he's able to take the, the construct for business and apply it to family and personal because as a parent, you – I mean who doesn't want their children to be successful? But your children are going to be successful. Your employees are going to be successful. You are going to be successful if you're doing more of what you're good at, more of what comes naturally versus maybe what doesn't come naturally at all. And while we all have to do those things – if we can have a culture and a community and a global community of do what's do what you're great at, do what you're best at versus, you know, hey, you know, they got these five things and, you know, accounting may not be your strength, but, you know, we're going to we're going to drive you as an entrepreneur to be better at accounting. Well, it's just not your unique ability. Let's play to your strengths, because I guarantee you there's somebody in that world out in the world who's really good at accounting. Why not connect with them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's this it's this. Um, I love that freak factor. I love that. It's like embrace your inner freak. Just that, go oh, for it's, it. it's, like, it's like you've read the book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's what makes you unique. So it's therefore yeah. you just got to, that's brilliant. Okay. Question number three is what's your favorite app? My favorite app? You know, it's um, a good question. I think the app I end up going on to the most is um, the Facebook app. I'm not sure it's my favorite, but it's certainly for downtime or, or, or just a mental checkout time. I'll go there quite a bit. Um, I like it because I can stay connected with with my friends. And, you know, at my age, you know, I don't I, I don't do Snapchat. I don't do those kind of things. It's just not something I've ever been part of. But, you know, I guess probably to answer your question, that's the app I probably hit the most. But I'm not sure it's my favorite. But I, I got to give you an answer because I'm on the Ab- Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the thing is as well, because I think is is. You know the 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 younger generation. I know what my kids are like, and sometimes is the the platforms for like the social reach. There's so many coming out so quick. It's really hard just to keep up. So it's just take like Snapchat. I just don't understand. But it's you know. So it's it's. But my kids completely get it, and I guess it's oh, just for sure. you just jump to one that you you feel most comfortable with. Well, I think too. You, I got to know why do I go there? I go there to see what's going on with my friends, checking in with people. Um, you know, I follow a lot of business leaders on there, see what they're they're promoting, see what they're talking about. Um, you know, the challenge becomes: should, Facebook should not be my only source of news. It should only, it shouldn't be my only source of, of information and feeding my brain, and that's where it can become damaging. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, question number four is: What is your biggest business mistake, and what did it teach you? <laughs> well, I think we just kind of talked a little bit about it. Uh, yes, that's true. My, my, my biggest overall, my, my biggest business mistake was thinking I had to have all the answers, thinking I had to be the Oracle, suffering from imposter syndrome, and, and then the cascade of bad decisions that created. I, I think if I were to synthesize that, though, just into a bad business idea or a bad business protocol was putting revenue above margin it should be the inverse margin should always trump revenue in anything you do because we as entrepreneurs we should not work for free and so many people get so wrapped up in chasing that bright and shiny number and thinking well amazon they 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 lost money for 10 years they lost money for 15 years because they were all focused on revenue but if you peel back the the whole business platform of amazon and really research how bezos has done it and when he reached that inflection point, you know, it's not that way. And, and as a small, I just worked with a small entrepreneur the other day. Like, well, once I get to to five million in revenue, then I'll start making money. Well, only four point three percent of all businesses in the United States ever reach a million dollars in revenue. 
So unless you've got like a really super cool way to get to five million, let's take a look at how you can make money now and not make money in three years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. Number five is what are the challenges in what are your challenges, sorry, in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? You know, the the biggest challenge for me in, in, in bringing my worlds together is how do I work smarter, not harder? I, I find that there's a lot of opportunity out there. And to, to, to pursue that, it really comes, honestly, it comes down to schedule discipline. And uh, again, one of the, yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, you always have to constantly be learning. And, and Warren Buffett once time said, you know, I get 100 deals a day, for example. I say maybe yes to one of them. It's, it's really that, that discipline as an entrepreneur to say no. And sometimes you have to say you have to say no to ideas, you have to say no to employees, you have to say no to customers. But at the end of the day, if I go back to my core value, my core value is improving lives, my why is improving lives. Uh, every decision I say yes to has to pass that smell test, did it improve somebody's life? Because if it didn't, including improving my own life, then it wasn't worth doing. So if I'm gonna get going back to Facebook, if I'm gonna go mess around on Facebook for 10 minutes, um, it better it better improve my life in some way or, or I'm not living up to my core values and that's the litmus test on which all decisions should be made. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Um, you know, I think I wish I would have known the real value of understanding the finances of your business, knowing your P&L, knowing your cash flow, knowing your balance sheet, and then knowing how that flows into the profitability of the company. I think a lot of times entrepreneurs are told, hey, a typical business is going to lose money for anywhere from the first three to five years of its, of its infancy, so to speak. Not everybody's got that runway. How do you then compress that timeline and really focus on margin? And how do you tweak the margin? And how do you create the messaging around the margin? If you, if you think of the margin is really the oxygen necessary for that business as an entity to continue to exist how do you focus on that if i'm amazed at when entrepreneurs take a look at being margin focused knowing their finances and recognizing that that's why i'm in business is to make money because that money then allows for me to do my philanthropic endeavors and allows for me to to pay for my employees and allows for me to 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 live a, hopefully a decent lifestyle you know there's there's nothing i worked with an entrepreneur one time who was who literally was making so little money that she might as well have closed her doors and gone and gotten a job elsewhere to double her salary. So we had to really take a look at what she could do, how to do it differently so that she can make just a, a, a good salary for herself and her family. And she had just never thought of it because she thought there was a, it's almost like that starving artist mentality entrepreneurs will sometimes take on. I understand that in the beginning, but there's ways and there's just pivots, small, a 1% improvement per week over 52 weeks is a 50% improvement. Think yes. about it like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, question number seven is, um, what is your definition of success? Wow, you know, if you had asked me that, going back kind of your, your question about culture and DNA and hiring and who you are, if you had asked me that question you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Oh, my definition of success would have been very, a very much a financial metric. Now, for me, fi success not only in 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 business, but in life, it really is very simple. It's success is doing what I want, when I want to do it, as often as I want to go to do it, and and doing it with somebody I want to do it with. And really, it's a paraphrasing of a, of a Tony Robbins quote. 
and, and, he t- and it, the, the real genesis behind that is if you're doing what you want, when you want, as often as you want to do it with whoever you want to do it with, whether you're at a, at having lunch with Mark Cuban or w- walking on the beach with your grandkids, you're, you're where you want to be. And time is finite. And that, that finite measurement of time, that's really what it's all about. And the great thing about that definition versus the old definition I used to have is it's not financially driven. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. Question number eight is, do you have any type of morning routine that helps you get prepped for the day ahead? Typically every morning I try to get up at the same time and I take five or 10 minutes just to kind of clear my head, think about my day. Um, make sure I've got everything lined up and ready to go. I'm a very schedule driven guy. Make sure I haven't missed anything. And, and I on the days I know I'm I'm rocking it, I'm hitting the gym and I, I'm in the and I'm into the office by eight thirty, on the on the day. But the great thing about it is because I do try to live a life based upon my success. I still play competitive baseball of all things, so I sometimes have games that don't get in, done till midnight. So on those days, then I still do the calendar routine. I kind of set my day. I go into the office and then I'll exercise at night. So for me, it's really it's, it's, honestly my answer is kind of seasonal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's mine too. Like winters, it's like no, no. Bed is much more cozy than going out for a walk in the cold. <laughs> oh, for sure, especially if you've got to go out. Yes, in, in those northern hemispheres. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Question number. There's the last question. Is the life lesson question. So these are sort of lessons that I have put together when recovering from my illness and starting my business. And they're just some things that I basically live my life by. So you get to pick a number between 1 and 50. Whatever it lands on, we use that as our final conversational point. It's okay for you to disagree because obviously I'm interested to know what your life experience was. So if you could pick a number between 1 and 50, please. I will go with the number 13. Okay, 13 is experience versus bling. Um, So ultimately what this was from is, is 1... It's kind of like what you were saying at the beginning is in the first part of my life before my illness, it was all about making money, get the nice car and everything else. And it wasn't about the life side, looking after myself and those sort of things. And when I came back, when I came out my illness and I recovered, it was to look at and really cherish those experiences because they go further. You know, the the memories of taking out my, my kids to a to Disney was something that was so much more memorable than, I don't know, buying an iPod or something like that. And well, I just, course. I was just wondering what you thought about that. Uh, well, I think it kind of really goes back in, uh, that's a great way to end the, the conversation. It goes back to my definition of success. The, the definition of success that I used to have was very much financially driven. Now it's, it's very much, I will trade, I will trade dollars for time all the t- any day if i can go and have a rich conversation with a friend or, or or go out on a date night or um take a trip and, and do an experience versus make more money i'm going to do that every time because those memories that i build are the things that i'm going to carry with me to my dying days i remember as a as a, about 10 years ago i read this this is a famous study done of hospice workers and they talked to, and they interviewed hospice workers because they found that people were the most honest right before they passed away with the hospice worker. And their number one regret was that they did not res- they did not respect time and give their time appropriately. And they were too career focused. And that shook me because these people had no reason to lie. They had no reason to BS anybody. 
and they're telling these workers, hey, I, I, my, my time is now coming to an end. And I wish my number one regret is I didn't spend enough time with my loved ones. I didn't spend enough time enjoying life. I'm thinking, wow, for somebody who's a hard driver like you and I, we're working 80 hours a week. Holy cow, we're not going to – let's learn from others. Let's learn from people who've tracked that path. I'm like, I want to start living a life based upon experiences and building memories because there could come a time where my body may not allow me to or my circumstances may not allow that. I better capture that now. I don't want to say when I retire, I want to go do this. No, I want to go do that now. Yeah. And the, tr- and the truth is for me, this bit came from um, – when I was, um, and for those who don't know the story, go to episode zero and you can hear the origin. But when at the when at the moment of when I was first ill, I literally thought I was um, I was dying, and mm-hmm. um, I remember the anger in me for for when I looked at my when I was looking at my wife and my son, the anger in me that I didn't do enough. I was always pursuing work. I was always thinking, well, I need to work, I need to work, I would need to work. And there's an important part of working, but it wasn't, I forgot to tell them this, or we haven't, we haven't done this. Kind of like the hospice experience. It was, I need to do more. I should have done more of this than that. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's the, that's the thing. It's that it's, you know, there's, there's, there's only so many minutes in the day and there's only so many minutes in your lifetime. And unfortunately, we don't know when that is. But it's using them wisely and using them to create those memories that you can literally, as you said, take them right the way through your life and you'll never forget them. You no, know, it's, it, it's one it, of those great it, things. I, I, th- I think that, that that sense of insight that you, you've acquired from such a difficult circumstance will, will not only serve you well, but I think it serves your listeners well so that people really do understand that, hey, it, it's, it's not a, you know, you shouldn't apologize for being successful. You shouldn't apologize for having money and anything like that. It's what you do with it. It's how you enjoy it. And there's so much more to life than the almighty dollar. And really, if you've got something, you know, I find as an entrepreneur, if I have something empty within me, all the money and all the success or all the accolades and all the awards, they don't fill that emptiness within me. But what makes me feel whole as a human being is my connection with those I care about the most. And that is where the memories come in. And that's where the cool experiences come in. And a lot of those things, is, as I think you and I can attest to, don't cost a lot of money to no. to create. No, no, it at does all. cost time. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and you've got to use it wisely. <laughs> so, so um, finally, Todd, could you just share with my, the audience and the listeners how people can find out more about you um, and anything that else that you would like to share? Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, I I can be reached at my website extraordinaryadvisors.com. Uh, and there's a, a, a you know my contact phone number, my email address, um, and we, you know I really enjoyed our conversation today, Jeff. And what I'd like to do is offer something to your audience if they're interested. I, I'd be happy to give an hour of my time to anybody who wants to have a conversation about pursuing their business, anybody who wants to have a conversation about pursuing their why, anybody who wants to talk about what success means to them, and anybody who wants to to figure out how to do, you know, scaling up or growing their business or hiring people. I think there's so much that can be gleaned from, from giving to the world because so much has been given to me that if anybody wants an hour of my time for free, all they have to do is mention that they heard me on your podcast and I, and I'm happy to do that. Kelly will, my assistant will book them and, and we can have hopefully as a, at least as, as riching a conversation as you and I've had today. 
Brilliant. Todd, thank you very much. I'm sure um, the audience will and the listeners will love that. So it just leaves me the final thing is just to say thanks very much for joining me and I want to wish you the greatest success. Jeff, thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed the conversation today. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening and I really appreciate the support. If you'd like to know more about me, my services, and how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk, and that's Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. I also invite you to join my growing community on Facebook, search for Jeff Nicholson UK, and join like-minded people, because it would be absolutely awesome to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. If you have enjoyed the show and have time, please leave a rating and review and because it, it really does help me grow the show and make the impact I am aspiring to do with the show. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week.